This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not. Because they're real. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Water Cooler Talk, the only podcast on the internet willing to share with you that women find bearded men more attractive and have the scientific proof to back it up. According to a paper published by the Journal of Evolutionary Biology, men who have beards are considered to be more attractive to women when considering long-term or short-term relationships as they indicate a male's ability to successfully compete socially with other males for resource. Alexandra, where do you stand on this hot topic? issue? Well, maybe it's because I'm from Minnesota. And so what's the what's the term? Uh, it's not a lumberjack. It's a well, I mean, yes, lumberjack. But oh, gosh, lumbersexual. Is that what it is? is that that a... was that was like a thing a while yeah, back. Really? Where it was like, yeah, lumberjack mixed with I don't know what. <laughs> um, but it basically, I think, was in reference to that whole lumberjack look of the flannel, the beard, maybe even a little man bun hanging out. But like, well done, where it's kind of classy at the same time like maybe they throw a little blazer over it and you got like the nice what are those shoes that all the dudes wear now like like ugh. more booty type yeah, shoes not yeah. like baby booties but <laughs> <laughs> I hope not um, but yeah it's like that kind of stuff yeah. there's something about it that's stylish I think I, I guess it, it doesn't hurt but again I'm from yeah. the north so it's very common to be yeah, right. yeah. well people love the logo they love me as a lumber sexual so <laughs> there you go <laughs> well for all you beer Bearded and non-bearded men, and of course, our non-bearded and bearded ladies. Today in Water Cooler Talk, we are joined by Alexandra Nedved. Alexandra, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. If you stumbled across this podcast while trying to find shaving music... and are wondering what you are listening to, Water Cooler Talk is about connecting the world in conversation by taking the strangest, the weirdest, the quirkiest, most bizarre, and most unbelievable real-life news stories and opening up a discussion about some of the ideas presented in those articles. If you want to share a strange and interesting local news story yourself, comment your thoughts on one of today's stories, or send me your photos of Bigfoot, you can email us at watercoolertalkpod at gmail.com or connect with us on Twitter at watercoolertalk, talk spelled T L. Okay. Alexandra, are you a Bigfoot believer? Well, I'm very open-minded, so we'll say I'm open to the possibility of <laughs> Fair Bigfoot. enough. That's a very good response. All right. Are you ready to jump into our first story of the day? This is from yeah. CBC News Canada. Man whose hobby was waving to drivers in Brokenhead, dead at 73. It's not, this sounds like a bad story, but it's a really good story. James Starr, who spent his retirement sitting outside his retirement home, waving to drivers with his brother on the side of Highway 59 on the Brokenhead Ojibwe Nation, has passed away peacefully at the age of 73. James, along with his brother Nelson, spent years and sometimes up to 10 hours a day waving at drivers coming from Winnipeg and route to cabins or beaches north of Brokenhead, many of whom would roll down their windows and honk in support. James's niece, Mary Sinclair Chartrand, stated about her uncle, he enjoyed what he did to make people feel happy and joyful. Alexander, you star in the upcoming play Hamlet, but Hamlet's a chicken, so maybe the profession plays a, a bigger factor in your answer, but do you believe you are more aware of your legacy because you work in a field that prioritizes that idea? I guess maybe. I think as an artist, you become very self-aware of how 
you take up space, or at least an intellectual artist, you hope that everyone does. But at least in my training, in the people that I spend time with, we talk about, yeah, how we interact with others, especially people who are different from us, whether that's racially, economically, they're all intertwined, gender, sexuality, fluidity. So I think, yeah, when we come on stage, when we tell stories, um, when we engage and connect with other people, I think we are very aware of how those people are going to take that story with them in their brain and their heart and transfer it, take it with them to people who haven't seen what we've just put on stage. And kind of similarly, I guess, uh, with this story, it's like, how then does that legacy of what he was doing transfer to the people that he touched or I guess the brothers in general and how those people are then going to interact with others maybe in a different way. I know I was reading the story and what struck me is like how slowly it seemed like they took life and we tend to go, go, go and they're sitting on the side of this highway like taking time to make people smile or interact and like communicate with a stranger in a basically. positive way yeah yeah um and just like a little moment the idea also being that like you don't need a whole hour to change somebody's life it could just be this tiny moment where you spend connecting with somebody and depending on how you reflect on that it could either make a really big difference or a tiny difference and both are can be positive yeah no that was a very 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 good way to put it and yeah it's definitely very true it's like small acts even like you know, you're walking in the city and you walk by someone and you see a smile on your face that immediately brightens your day mm -hmm. and that energy flows into whatever you do next. Maybe you have a smile on your face now. So, yeah, I think that's uh, a very, very good point, especially going into the holidays. I guess just one more thing. Like we talk about how it doesn't cost any money to be nice to people in the service industry or even people you're passing on the street. Like it's really not that hard. It's that saying of I hope by the Buddha where lighting like a candle, a single candle can light an entire room and it never loses its flame or definitely something said, along that definitely line. said more eloquently <laughs> than I just did. Um, but that idea being that just by sharing your happiness, you're not losing anything. You're just increasing the happiness around you, increasing the you know patience and kindness and whatever else. And I think we tend to become very reactionary in the time we're living in right now. And it's not that hard for us to sit back and slow down kind of like these two did. And try to be nice to everyone. And, and definitely in today's society where everything is recorded, mm -hmm. I think people are a lot a lot more aware of what they want their legacy to be because yeah. you could do something and then 20 years down the line, it's like, oh, you're seeing it now with like Kevin Hart most recently with his tweets and stuff like that. So I think people are a lot more being more aware of their legacy. You can use yeah, the example. It'll of, follow you around. Yeah. Howard Dean. I don't know if you remember Howard Dean, a Democrat that ran for president in 2004. Uh, you probably remember what he did. Uh, this was the guy who developed the 50 state strategy that propelled Obama into the White House, mm. among doing many other notable things. But to the general public, he will always be remembered as that politician who has that, like, he had a very weird, yeah, scream. <laughs> That's Harold Dean. People are like, oh, now I know who that guy is. And he had that at one of the end of the speeches, and that completely tanked his presidential run. So I do truly believe now more than ever, people are more conscious of their actions, which... I don't know. I don't know. I would be very interested here, but I don't know if that's 100% like a positive thing or not, because it's like you get a lot of fakeness. And it's like, are you being real? Are you being, what are you doing? Yeah, I think that's hard to pinpoint, um, especially because in a political climate where a lot more of 
the general population is invested and wants to learn about politics and how they affect not only themselves, but their families or communities. Um, I think it's really difficult because you want to say people change. You want to be open to giving people space to grow and learn. And it's that calling in versus calling out and pointing fingers. You want to be able to have discussions with people and ask them like if a video came out of something they did in high school or even younger now, kids have access to all sorts of recording devices. Just being able to talk to them about that, see that they've changed, ideally, if it's something negative, whatever it is. But at the same time, yeah, how do you distinguish between somebody who's actually genuinely grown up and somebody who is putting on a facade and acting a certain way because they still believe in maybe this prejudice or bias or, yeah, whatever whatever (laughs) it may be. But they know that society shames that or leans a different way or is more inclusive when they may not be or whatever it is. I think it's really hard to figure out when somebody's actually become more self-aware versus when it's just, oh, I got caught and everything's recorded now, everything. You know, we snap selfies and photos at all times of the day doing whatever it is we're doing from the most elaborate to the most mundane. It's like we're trying to record everything and put it out there. I don't know, that's a I, long-winded way of No, no, that's that's a very good explanation. I think I think I've, I've talked about this before, but I think it's important like maybe even having a class in high school about social media, about just yeah, the potential dangers or going that way. the best way to use social media, how to use it productively because one talking about like fakeness or people putting on a facade for social media, we probably know a ton of different people who have the coolest life on social media, but then in their personal life, they're very sad. They're very just not anywhere near what they are on Mm -hmm. social media. And I think that's a huge problem that people believe that they have to be a certain way to fit in when it's like, really, that's just a big disadvantage to Mm -hmm. your own kind of state of mind and your own. Oh, yeah mental health and so yeah, you I think, end up comparing yeah. a lot of different factors when I once heard oh from some speaker I went to see that she was saying generally obviously there are some exceptions but generally we only post our successes but we never really post our failures exactly with a few exceptions and so thinking about that and trying to be mindful of that when you're scrolling through all these things and sometimes yeah it is nice to take a break on social media at least like mentally and just kind of swipe and like but it is also taking away from time that you could be bettering yourself and it does create this false reality where everyone's life is Wait, this really and interesting it affects thing. your potential legacy because yeah. especially someone like me like oh, I want to travel and then I see kids that are 18 going to yeah. traveling all across the world <laughs> oh in private God. jets and it's like oh is my life really as cool as theirs and then you're like well I'm never going to have a legacy as as good as theirs. So it's like now I'm negatively affecting yeah. my potential. Well, and also because I know some people who like personally who have a, an Instagram profile like that where it's like, oh, family owns a private jet or they go on vacations all the time to like ski resorts or whatever it is that these families are doing. But you also have to remember, like, it's their parents. It's not this 18 year old for the most part unless they are all of a sudden getting brand contracts or something but again usually that's their parents who have passed on that legacy to them and they're able to use that to their advantage where a lot of people don't have most people don't have that like you know five percent advantage Mm -hmm. because of 
the family they grew up in. So a lot of that is privilege and remembering that everyone's vision also of success is different. And so those people may be able to post a lot of beautiful pictures and may have may really enjoy traveling. But at the same time, there may also be a lot of self-doubt and a lot of other issue going on that they don't post because that doesn't appeal to a brand or a way that they want their photos to look or whatever it may be. I think that's a very, very, very good look. You are killing it. Uh, Besides being remembered by family and road travelers of Winnipeg, James and Nelson were honored with a big chair by the gas station across from where they would sit, which, coincidentally enough, was also named in their honor. All right, so before we move on, Alexander, I want to uh, play a little game with you. Okay. I want to help define your legacy (laughs) right here live on Water Cooler Talk, a first ever. I have in front of me 15 questions. Oh, boy. Okay. I want you to answer each of these questions as quickly as possible. Oh, no. <laughs> First thing that pops into your head. Once you answer all 15, we're going to have a good understanding of what your legacy is. So we can look back at this recording in 60, 70, 80 years and see, see how it went. I plan to live that long. So. All right, Alexander, are you ready to play Step Back, Eminem? This is my <laughs> legacy. <Yeah. laughs> Question number one. If you could be doing anything right now, what would it be? Traveling. <laughs> Question number two. What is your favorite movie? Ooh, I really love, um, oh, uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild. Also Boyhood. Also, there's one other that I can't remember, but yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Question number three. If money was not an issue, what would you do? Travel. <laughs> Fair Travel. enough. Uh- <laughs> Question number four. What are the reasons that you're happy now? Art. Uh, and the people that I get to make it with. And I think all the knowledge that I got, even though I am in so much student debt, <laughs> I really do appreciate all of the classes I took and the brains that I got to pick. And yeah, I just I love people who are intellectual, who share knowledge. So, Question number five. What is one thing you should do differently? I should not be so scared to talk about my finances. <laughs> <laughs> Question number six. What gets you most excited in life? The idea of changing the way people think, particularly in regards to climate change and the environment. I'm very passionate about that and how that intersects with social injustice, in parentheses, injustice. And the downfall of plastic straws. Yes. Oh, God. Yes. I hate plastic straws. (laughs) Question seven. What was the first bucket list item you can think of? Visiting Machu Picchu, which I checked off my list, I guess. That's awesome. How was that? Amazing. I spent three days there. It was um, a study abroad. So we got to climb the mountain that's in all the pictures, which, fun fact, is not Machu Picchu. It's Huayna Picchu, which is New Mountain. And Machu Picchu is where the ruins are, called Old Mountain. Oh, so, fun little fact. Yes, yes. Question eight. What one word would you like to create a significance in your life? Mindful. Question nine. What is one thing you are most scared of doing? Moving to Europe. I would love to do that. <laughs> Question ten. Are you more concerned about today or tomorrow? Tomorrow, maybe. Question eleven. Don't share what it is. But rate yourself on a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being high. Okay. (laughs) I said a (laughs) 7. Perfect. Question 12. Is there one skill that you are lacking that affects your life? Oh, gosh. I don't know how much it really affects my life, but I really... I'm fluent in Spanish and I've taken Italian and French and I just, I want to, I want those other languages to like settle in. Yeah. I really want to devote more time. Yeah. Arabic is on my list. I just, ASL, I just really want to know a polyglot. That's the word they call it. Polyglot for people who know many languages. That and musical instruments. I'm really fluent in Spanish when I'm drunk. Oh. (laughs) Question 13. Do you consider yourself a leader or a follower? Both. 
well, maybe a leader. Leaders have to be good listeners also. So, Question 14. What are qualities of a good friend? Somebody who is compassionate, who shares in your joy and only wants the best for you. Um, somebody who can listen and empathize, but not necessarily criticize. I think those are two very subtle things when, you know, especially when we're talking about things like breakups or something. You want somebody who can uplift you and not just demean somebody you may have just lost or whatever. That's a solid friend. Finally, question 15. Alexandra, how do you want to be remembered? I want to change somebody's world, whether it's many somebodies or just a couple somebodies. That's what I want to, yeah, I want to leave is. the world better than I found it. In 60, 70, 80 years, depending on how long your life goes on for, yes, we will be able to come back to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us on another mind-exploring episode of Step Back, Eminem. This is my legacy. Join us again next week on another new episode as Howard Dean steps into the hot seat to see if his legacy is a little bit more than a big scream. <laughs> I would like to welcome to the show Alexandra Nedved to today's episode of Water Cooler Talk. You can see her take the stage at the Minsky Theater December 19th through the 22nd during the second coming of Hamlet, but Hamlet's a chicken. You can take a look into the behind the scenes of her world on her Instagram at Al underscore Nedved. Nedved spelled N-E-D-V-E-D. Alexandra, how would you best describe acting next to a live chicken? Because for our listeners at home who may be interested, the chicken that plays Hamlet isn't someone dressed in a chicken suit. It's an actual live chicken. It's amazing. It's very absurd, but also so genuine because comedy can't be anything else but honest <laughs> um, if it's good comedy. And it's just beautiful. I think the audience is surprised because it isn't just that. We add a lot of different elements of Dada, which was an artistic movement, I think, after World War II. Um, maybe World War One. Wow. I should brush up on that. Um, <laughs> There'll be a comment saying exactly yeah, what it was. You didn't know what it you was. Know. Here it is. But basically just rejecting reality and it kind of mirrors our world today just as far as war and um, injustice and all sorts of different things that artists rejected and didn't want to deal with. And it's like, if those are our reality in normal life, then a chicken on stage can be reality in this space. And so it's just creating this really lovely world. And who doesn't love seeing a cute, it's fluffy also. It's not oh, just like a barnyard it's a chicken. It's, chicken. They're silky chickens. So they're very beautiful. Perfect. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's a good teaser right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before we move on to the next story of today's episode, and now that you have a better grasp of what your legacy is, you are very welcome, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to remember that every day of my life. Am I following those 15 questions? Um, I think you're more than qualified to answer this question. What potential do creators and actors have to make positive change in the world? Ooh, so much ability to teach others about empathy and discussion without reaction. Artists are, in particular actors, are good at listening first before they decide how they're going to move on. And in today's day and age, we don't do that usually. It's usually you hear something and you defend and it's fight or flight mode. And so I think that's the big thing is empathizing and talking to each other, being able to hear what the other person is saying like you do in a scene. Yeah. And going back to what you said earlier, people are very reactive mm -hmm. in today's day and age. And it's like, just take a second, yeah. think about it and then react. Yeah. And try to put yourself in that person's position where they're coming from. Everyone has an incredible backstory and has learned a lot from their parents, from their teachers, their friends. So how has that influenced what they 
view in the world and how they exist. That's a quote. That's a quote for your legacy right there. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on to the next story. This is from Reuters World News. South Koreans lock themselves up to escape prison of daily life. For most people, prison is a place to escape from. For Pike Hyri, a 28-year-old office worker and many South Koreans like him, $90 a day to be locked inside a mock prison is well worth the needed break from their everyday life. Since 2013, the prison inside me has hosted more than 2,000 inmates, many of them stressed office workers and students seeking relief from South Korea's demanding work and academic culture. The rules inside are strict. No talking, no mobile phones, no clocks. Prisoners get a blue prison uniform, yoga mat, tea set, pen, notebook, and must sleep on the floor. Their rooms also include a small toilet, but no mirror. The daily menu consists of rice porridge for breakfast and a steamed sweet potato and banana shake for dinner. Based on the recent Employment Outlook report by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, South Koreans worked 2,069 hours on average in 2017. That's about 39.8 hours a week for a continuous 52-year week. The third longest after Costa Rica, which is at 42.5 hours a week, and Mexico at 43.4 hours a week. In comparison, the average American works 34.3 hours a week. Prison Inside Me co-founder No Jing Haing stated, After a stay in the prison, people say, This is not a prison. The real prison is where we return to. Alexandra, is the average human's work life a prison? And if so, how do they escape? Gosh, I would say maybe not a prison necessarily, but I do think our work life or maybe society's expectation for work life, whether or not people go along with that, definitely veers towards that. Um, I did have one, I don't know if it's an, you would call it an issue, but just because, and maybe this is an American thing because our prison system is so messed up, um, which I learned in, Very true. <laughs> in Very true. Uh, college, I think it somewhat romanticizes the idea of having this fake prison, this faux prison, somewhat romanticizes the prison system in a that's sense, really, just because really you are using a similar structure but in a positive light and I love the idea of having this retreat place but the idea of calling it a prison kind of I think undermines the fact that a lot of people go to prison and it is not like that at all (laughs) and would love to be out in the outside world especially for people of color who get put away for incredible sentences that white people in particular wouldn't go away for or would go away for for less time and there's just a whole lot of mess that could go on and on and on. But I do think that it speaks to a larger problem in our society of the fact that we aren't mindful. We don't take time for self-care in our normal life. So in our normal life. So it's sad that these people feel the need to lock themselves up in order to experience this peace and compassion, this slowing down of their lives. And then they have to be apprehensive about going out into the real world where they do all their living, where they have their friends and their connections and they get to work ideally about what they're passionate or work on what they're passionate about. But yeah, so I I definitely think it speaks to a larger issue in our society that we're go, go, go constantly. If we're slowing down and focusing on ourselves and our well-being mentally, emotionally, physically, that that's somehow not okay. That's very true. That's I think, especially in our field, in the creative field, it's you hear it all the time. It's like, oh, I just threw down like a 60, 80 hour week. (laughs) And you're like bragging about this. And heck, I used to do this Mm -hmm. until I realized how just dumb it was. But I think people are like, it's cool to be overworked. It's cool to be stressed. It's cool to always be busy. It's cool not to take care of your mental health. It's cool not to have a personal life. Or you're doing both. And it's like, how much can you work hard, play hard, 
to the max and pretend like you're fine mm-hmm. and you're healthy. Well, yeah, just in the past few months, just in my personal experience, I realized like I was just working way too much. I was putting off my personal life. I was working six, seven days a week, continuous, like eight, 10 hours. And I wasn't doing anything with friends. I wasn't going out. I wasn't getting out of my work Adam zone. Mm-hmm. And it was affecting my life. And I was like, you know, you got to slow down. You got to take care of me first. I'm only 23. You know, there's like a big thing on YouTube now where all these YouTubers are being burnt out just because their workload is so high and they're not focusing on them. Yeah, we have a lot of unrealistic expectations, especially for young people coming up as young professionals. Yeah, you're expected to be this like well-rounded person and have done all these things and also have a social life and also be really, really well-versed in your field. But it's like... What is it like that master of God, jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing where like if you're doing all these things, yes, to a certain extent, it's great to be knowledgeable on all these different things. But then you're also not getting time to focus on whatever it is you want to focus on, because all these different areas of your life are expecting you to be perfect in quotes person. And you can't just you just can't do it. There's only 24 (laughs) hours in a day. I was reading this article like a two weeks ago. I'm horrible at remembering times. But anyways, in the past, I was reading this article (laughs) and it mentioned that if we somehow had a drug or something that we would never go to sleep, we would employers would end up expanding our workday because giving us free time would be horrible. So I'm not the biggest proponent of a capitalist market. I think it's (laughs) very negative when we get into like late stage capitalism and all of those um, Costa Rica, Mexico, South Korea, they all have influences of a capitalist market. And I think that plays a huge factor on what we just talked about on the health of workers, because in a capitalist market, and this is not in every market, there's good places, there's bad places. But for the most part, I would say is the company doesn't care about the employee. They Mm -hmm. care about the bottom line over everything. That includes ethics, as long as they're making money, as long as they're not getting... I talked about another story where Newport, the cigarette brand, used to go into um, lower class communities and hand out free cigarettes to get people addicted. And then they were fined like two days worth of profit. And it was like, what are you teaching them? Are you teaching them that, oh, we know that we're going to lose two days, but we're also going to gain generations of potential peoples. But anyways, so... You look at millennials as a good example of what could happen with future generations when it comes to getting sucked into this capitalist market, getting sucked into placing profits above ethics. You've talked about it multiple times. You know, debt is too high. Housing's not affordable. Well, and like I was just I've become recently fascinated by Patagonia and I've listened to podcasts on them, read articles just because the founder and again, he the has, clothing brand. Yes, okay. yes. He has a lot of privilege because he's a founder of this massive company, but he has he provides daycare for his workers. He provides parental paid parental leave and encourages them to go on vacations. And so, yeah, it is a for profit company. But at the same time, you don't have to get rid of all the ethics. And I've read about companies who have three day weekends. And this is maybe more pertaining to the U.S. and how we have really bad paid time off. Yeah. And we really don't take care of our employees. But people who spend maybe a little less time at work and have more time to be with their loved ones and spend time outdoors and fuel their passions, whatever that is, are more productive when they are at work because they want to be there, because they know that they are valued and they're cared for and the people they work with are community and the time that they spent there, which may be a little more limited four days a week, is meant to be productive. So they're not sitting in a cubicle necessarily like 
skimming Facebook every, you know, hour as like a reward for finishing whatever, you know, work they did get done because, yeah, everyone knows their place. And And I think when you give employees more time away from work, they create a life outside of work. Yeah. So, yeah, when they go to work, they're like, this is work. Right. They're not craving Mm -hmm. that free time. And also, I think a little more independence. I feel like in our workforce, maybe in other places in the world too. I'm sure it's very hierarchical. And yes, you do need some leadership, but I feel like leaders also need to be able to trust their employees and give them space to do their jobs well, because then people feel independent, don't feel like they have to cater to the specific wants of their boss. I know I deal with that in my job where it feels like a lot of micromanaging sometimes. And I feel like when people are given freedom in their workplace, they want to be there. Because they feel like they're making a difference. They feel like they're contributing. It doesn't feel like they're just this piece in a machine yeah, doing the same thing. Yeah, cog in the machine. Yeah. I think, yeah, if you give your employees respect, they'll give you that respect yeah. back. I want to ask you kind of how do you, what are ways you found to alienate stress in your work life? Do you mean during my work day or outside of the workplace to balance it out? Kind of a little bit of both. Okay. Well, I guess this kind of relates to both, but I am a, I don't know how to, how I would speak specifically say it, but I am a regular practitioner of yoga. So I do that a few times a week at least. And I think that has definitely seeped into the rest of the areas of my life where in like I've become a lot more mm, calm and I like I learned to breathe and I learned how my emotions and my breath can control my mind. And so it's like if you're feeling a lot of stress, because of where you're working, taking time, like knowing that you can take 30 seconds to just stop and breathe and calm down and think about something other than whatever's stressing you out and realizing that it's fine to take a little time for yourself, even if it doesn't feel like it. You know, 30 seconds a minute is not going to completely detract from the work you need to get done. And it is really important to keep that healthy awareness of how work is affecting your body and start to learn how you can manually change things yourself if your workplace isn't doing that for you, I think is very proactive. Yeah, that's a good point. Even going back to what we said in the first story, like small little things can make Mm -hmm. completely change your day. Like, yeah, 30 minutes a minute. Or take a drink of water, (laughs) go to the bathroom. Just take a break and focus on yourself, I think, is very important. Because you come off as a very zen person. You have very good energy. (laughs) So, yeah, you definitely know. I I think you know what you're talking about. Uh, So before we move on to the next story, I want to ask you this. Like, what are some long-term effects that are going to happen because of overworked generations? Oh, gosh. I feel like I just started reading this book actually called uh, The Art of Gathering. How We Meet and Why It Matters by Priya Parker. And I literally just started the intro, but I did watch her speak before I bought the book. And basically, it's about connection and our need for human interaction and the fact that like we still get, I guess it talks about us being reactionary and how we're so overworked that our connections become kind of meaningless because we're scrolling while we're like we're doing all these things we're multitasking and I kind of worry that by being overworked by focusing too much on money and making money for somebody else in particular or whatever it is I kind of worry that we're going to lose those connections in our daily lives because we become so robotic in our work lives and we're just we're not going to be able to sit and make eye contact with someone we're not going to be able to push each other a little further in whatever conversations we're having because we're scared of agitating somebody because somebody might feel a little offended or get defensive and we can't just have 
a conversation where we challenge each other because everyone is off and can't have conversations that are difficult with others because we stop learning how to communicate because we're just go, go, go all the time. And Yeah, no, I th- that's I think that's very good. I think just I mean, I think everyone knows it. I don't think people practice it, but just communication yeah. is so, so important. important. So important. It's uh. like I remember when I was doing my Roar for Change stuff and people were just against the wall at what I was saying, but it's like, you know, take a moment. Let's have a discussion. Let's talk about why you think this way, why I think this way, because there's always a middle ground. There's always, if you're willing to sit down yeah. and figure it out, there's always a way to have a discussion and figure whatever needs to be figured out. Yeah. What was it? I was listening to something about presidents and politics, I think, in the wake of George H.W.'s death, maybe. And they were saying, like, compromise isn't about it doesn't mean you lost. It means you're willing to find a balance between two different sides because we're never going to agree on every single thing. There's always there's billions of people in the world who come from so many unique backgrounds. But being able to compromise shows leadership because you're able to see things from other people's points of view and find some kind of happy place for everyone to exist in. You know, so it's not that you're winning and I'm losing or vice versa. It's just that we find a middle ground where we can all coexist right now. There you go, people. Listen, Alexandra knows what she is talking about. All right. Are you ready (laughs) to get to our final story? Yeah. This is from the Daily Herald Crime. His ex accused him of an attack that could have meant life in prison. A selfie saved him. While trying to enlist in the U.S. Army, 21-year-old Christopher Procopia was told he was unable to fight for his country because of the violent offense for which he had been charged with a year prior, an offense that he didn't commit. Christopher was arrested September 22nd, 2017 after his ex-girlfriend told police that he had forced his way into her home, pushed her to the ground before punching her in the face, and using a box cutter to cover an X just below her neck. She stated that the attack happened two days prior on September 20th, 2017 at 7.20pm at her Bell County home in Texas. Now that time is very important. After being given minimal information for his arrest when taken into custody, Christopher would later state to a Austin, Texas news station, I had no idea who accused me of this. I had no idea why everything was happening. I was constantly fearful as to what could happen the next day. I was going to sleep hoping I wouldn't wake up just to get away from it. After being charged with a burglary of a habitation with the intent to commit other crimes, a felony offense that carries the possibility of a life sentence, Christopher's parents were able to take out loans to post his $150,000 bond and start proving his innocence. While clearing his name, Christopher's mother, Erin, realized she possessed a piece of evidence that could prove her son was innocent beyond a reasonable doubt. At 7.02pm on the night of the attack, September 20th, 2017, at the Renaissance Austin Hotel, nearly 70 miles away from where his ex-girlfriend accused him of attacking her at the Bell County home, Christopher had sent out a selfie to his mother. After using nearby cell phone towers to help pinpoint his exact location, Christopher was exonerated of his crimes against his ex-girlfriend on June 21st of this year or of 2017 sorry Christopher's attorney Rick Flores stated he was very fortunate that she chose a date and time that he just happened to have a rock solid alibi for he and I have talked many times about how lucky he is whether you believe in a higher power or a good old-fashioned luck the local Austin news station that reported on the initial story followed up to report that Christopher's accuser has been charged and is looking at a maximum of 180 days in jail Uh, so one of the reasons I was interested in this story was to get a double-sided perspective 
perspective of it, a male perspective, a female perspective, because I think that's very important to meet in the middle and have these conversations. Um, so as a man with like the Me Too movement has been an amazing, right <laughs> has been an amazing thing, but it's also had negatives as most movements always have a negative thing with it. And I'm going to be very careful what I say here. Uh, th- so these are the types of scenarios that, as a man, make you hesitant to date, make you hesitant to meet with people, get intimate with another person because they now have the ability to ruin your life on a razor-thin evidence. And I'll answer it so I don't have to do it in the emails because I know I'll get some emails. <laughs> I understand that women have been hesitant their entire existence to go out, you know, for similar reasons. And, oh, now we're having a conversation about it because it happened to a man type deal. I totally understand that. Yeah, I do think it is still important to bring yeah. it up. But yeah, but yeah. I, I don't think that's the point. That's not the point I'm trying to get to. I'm trying to say nobody who goes out should have to A, worry about being sexually assaulted, and B, worry about being accused of sexual assault for a crime that they did not commit for like reasons like jealousy, regret, revenge, etc. And I definitely believe men have become more passive when going out because of a fear and that sounds weird, but I think it kind of makes sense. It's kind of like a wash. Did you say passive in the way in the <laughs> um, <laughs> passive meaning they aren't going out as much, or they're passive, a little more fearful or like they of don't make any advances of making an advance because okay. of possible repercussions okay, if yeah. you know something goes wrong. Because I kind of believe there's this like moral gray area where men are in the boat of guilty until proven innocent instead of the other way around, and sometimes they're not. You you know, and sometimes guys who do these crimes are horrible people and they should be sentenced to the full extent of the law. And it's very easy to say to a man, it's like, if you're afraid of, you know, not sexually assaulting someone, don't sexually assault <laughs> someone, right? That's a very yeah. easy thing to say. But how do you say that to someone like Christopher? Mm-hmm. Because some girl was, an ex-girlfriend was mad at him. And mm-hmm. this, I mean, this works both ways to ex-girlfriends, ex-boyfriends. That's my just my perspective as a male. I'm very interested to hear your perspective as a female yeah. in the story. So yeah, immediately when I read it, I was like, oh, this is the Me Too movement or like the <laughs> argument against it. And I do empathize with him and that like it is super shitty that somebody and I think this speaks more to the person who's doing it and less the movement. Ideally, we would pull ourselves back and realize like she has a lot of issues if she's coming at this person from a revenge standpoint and not realizing like he's one dude. Like, why are you so hung up on this? Like, clearly there, I think, is some imbalance with her that she needs to work through. And they talked about like their relationship in high school being very rocky. Yeah, exactly. But I also think that that doesn't necessarily absolve him of any other wrongdoing that he may have done that he doesn't know about. So whether that like, he may not be this violent criminal, but I'm sure that he's okay, not sure. I am very doubtful that he's the squeaky clean person who yeah. throughout his time in college or young adulthood, he never once maybe made a comment to a woman or possibly harassed and we don't you know I don't mean like necessarily physically like punched somebody but grabbed somebody or made advances that made a woman feel uncomfortable and like this is a lot of like especially in our language and or has with his buddies talked about a woman in a way that was degrading so it 
just because he isn't this aggressive person doesn't mean that he isn't complicit in a system, specifically the system, that has brought him up in a way that makes it okay to treat people like objects or talk about them like objects and then makes men and boys afraid to call out their friends when that happens and they know they feel it's wrong but don't have the language surrounding them to call that out or call in rather for conversation as to why that's not okay and why that perpetuates assault or rape culture or whatever it is and also influences this unequal balance of power so those are like my immediate reactions yeah. i was like yes that's awful mm -hmm. but also yeah he he does have a lot of privilege and that his parents were able to bail him out even though it does sound like it costed them a lot of personal money and time and resources that not everyone has but also just thinking about and i'm putting this question out there because i don't really have an answer because our, and I always use in quotes, injustice system, because it is so messed up, the ways in which things may have been different if he were a man of color or if she That's were a woman of color. I don't I guess I don't know their I don't know if it states their races, but it does not. But I think that's also a big thing of like there is privilege just in your race, just in your class at any level, because it doesn't sound like he's this really impoverished person, but he also doesn't sound rich, you know, so. It's not this. Yeah, it is a very gray area where it's like ideally and it's I hope that he is able to like charges get dropped enough where he can like it's not on his record anymore and he can go for his dream job eventually. And maybe there's just a few roadblocks. But had he had the same evidence and had were he black, would he have been exonerated of everything or would they have found a way to still spin it? I don't know. I like what you brought up about, you know, males growing up in a system because I would like to think I'm a very good moral person. I would think like to think I'm very respectful. Mm -hmm. But but I mentioned the Kevin Hart thing the other day and having gay or homophobic tweets. Yeah. And I remember back growing up in middle school and junior high, like gay was just a oh, word yeah. everyone Even, used. Yeah. I remember too. It was, if I would have yeah. had Twitter, I would have probably said something's gay on Twitter. And I think that's one of the things that as a man, you grew up in this system, especially this American system where the man was the breadwinner. He, he controlled the house. The woman was cooking the, at yeah. home, taking feels, care of the family. It still feels very recent, it's, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you look at it, it makes sense why, to me, I believe I have good morals, but I can also be do something that's offensive to someone. And to me, I'm like, I don't know. But yeah. does that excuse my actions? Especially in today's day and age, there's always room for growth. There's always room yeah. to be. I don't know if you've seen that comedy special in the net. Mm -mm. No, I don't think so. Highly recommend it. Okay, so, cool. you know, I'm I'll, I'm very open to conversation. You know, that's what I liked about the podcast, hearing different people's opinions. I'm very open to just improving as a person, becoming a more respectful person, becoming better on morals. But anyways, this, this comedy special completely opened my mind to like the raw emotion of being a woman in today's day and age. It's I highly recommend it to anyone listening. Cool. Yeah. But it was like the first like I always felt like I really respected women and tried to understand their, you know, what they're going through. But this was like on another level. I was like, well, wow, I had no idea. I don't know. One thing that always sticks out to me is like I'm a small woman, but even if I weren't five one, like I would probably still carry my keys in my hand when I walk to my car at night or like I have played many scenarios, like especially when I'm walking alone at night, of like, if I were attacked, what would I do? What would I go for? For Like, it's a consistent 
thing and you don't think about it, but it's sad that that is something that I like grew up to think about and to process and to internalize and that I'm like on edge being by myself sometimes. Yeah. And that's you know? something I never think about. I had two good friends, Marcel and Cortez, the real is back on and they're two African-American guys. And they were talking about every time we get stopped by the cops, it's Oof, like, yeah. am I going to jail today? I'm like, that's something that's never crossed my mind. I, whenever I'm walking at night alone, I never think of getting attacked. I think people need to be more weird or more open to hearing these stories, watching specials like this, consuming media where you realize that people have a lot of struggles that you don't even think about. So oh, yeah. being trying to be compassionate, trying to be open to different ways of seeing the world is very important. Yeah, that's one thing I think, too, about being an artist is or that I hope audiences start to accept more is that it's OK to be uncomfortable, like hearing people's stories that maybe feel like a little bit of an attack on you. And I'm I know I like especially because I teach yoga, but I'm white. So I've grappled with that where it's like, how do I give reverence and respect to this thousands of years old culture rather than like taking it on and appropriating it in this negative way? How do I give respect to that and share that joy and that peace of mind with other people? But I do have that kind of ugh, cringy feeling knowing that like, OK, this is where is my place in this? Am I allowed to teach this, etc.? And the same goes for questions of sex and gender and all sorts of different things, especially for white males in this culture where it's like it's OK to feel a little uncomfortable and then to start to self-reflect and ask yourself, why does that make me feel uncomfortable? Like, what is it that I've grown up with that makes me shy away from the Me Too movement or, you know, and how can I find a place in that, create discussions, learn and challenge myself and start to call out my own actions and then also the actions of the people around me, you know, in a positive way. I think that's very good that you brought up the uncomfortableness of it and even like connecting it back to what I said about when guys go out nowadays, they're uncomfortable because they're afraid of sexual assault. And I think that now that, you know, we've had this conversation, I think that can be a very good thing. I think it makes people more just just wait a bit, just yeah, have a conversation. step back, have a conversation. Because, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Growing up in the system, women have been sexualized since I can remember. They still are like the Victoria's Secret fashion. So it was just oh, the other day. <laughs> yeah. So I think not going to a bar and just being like, oh, that's a very attractive woman. I'm taking her home tonight. Looking at a woman, looking at any gender as a person, I think is the most important step to be like, all right, if you're a man, if you're afraid of being accused of sexual assault, maybe realize, yeah, think about why are you thinking that way? Maybe because you're sexualizing another gender. Maybe just see that person as another person and you won't have those Yeah, I definitely thoughts. think it is hopefully challenging us, at least those of us who are really grappling with it intellectually, to actually, yeah, see people for people and start to have conversations rather than just rely on body language, which is so ambiguous. And like a lot of my gender studies classes said, like the only yes is a yes at any point. And I've read a lot of books on like ending stigma. Surround I think that's another part of it. Ending stigma surrounding sexuality. Like it's beautiful. None of us would be here without sex. Like the more we accept and appreciate those intimate moments with our partner or with any partner that we have, the less we're going to be, I think, I think it kind of tones down the aggressive nature of like, oh, I have to end up with somebody tonight. I have to. No, you could just talk to them. You can any kind of it doesn't have to lead to like the end home base. It could like any kind of experience with a person can be beautiful, even if it doesn't end 
in going home with somebody or in sex. Well, yeah, you, you can know? find those endorphins yeah, in hands, other different kissing, situations. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Having, having a, a good great, conversation. Yep, exactly. <laughs> having a great conversation with somebody can be just as enjoyable. And I think we forget about that. And the idea of going out, especially as young people, has to be like, oh, I have to end with this goal. Like it has to go all the way when it doesn't like respecting people means letting them say yes or no to certain things at any point. And if something all of a sudden feels weird, like take a step back and talk to the person you're with. You know, why is it weird? What can I do for you? We rarely take time to ask what we can do for people anymore. And I think that goes back to the last story we had. See how I connect all these mm-hmm. stories? There's a yeah, it's very here. nice, very nice. It goes back to the last story on just not spending your time wisely, being yeah. like, hey, I can spend more personal time, especially in today is, I think our generation is more of like, you know, we have Tinder, Bumble, oh, yeah. all these hookup apps. It's like, I have, I'm doing so much with my career. It's I don't have time for a relationship. Mm-hmm. You do. You have time to slow down. You have time to get to know people, find someone you really like, really connect with, and then move on from there. Just because it seems like the media is throwing out there that you got to hook up. We have hookup movies, like what, Friends with Benefits, stuff like that. (laughs) That doesn't mean that's how it needs to be. The only reason uh, companies or movie industries are making those movies is because people are like, oh, yeah, that's that's the culture. That's life. And I... I'm going to plug this book that I just finished reading called The Ethical Slut, which is basically about talks a lot about communication and ending stigmas around just any kind of intimate culture that we have with our with ourselves, our own bodies, because a lot of times what we put out to the world, to others, how we treat other people is internalized. Um, So accepting our own bodies for what they are. And then basically to my point, oh, gosh, you were saying, oh, yeah, dating apps, et cetera. Like if we are using those, great. But Also acknowledging that we should be fully present for however, like whatever amount of time we're spending with a person. If we go on a date and it wasn't great, great. okay, but we still acknowledge that we had certain conversations with that person. That person is still a human being that has this complex, literally like a universe inside of them. And we got to spend like an hour with them or we did hook up and we respect that person because, you know, like because of the same things, because they have this whole unique background that we could never understand. And so it's just making sure that basically at the root of it, we are respecting people with the time they're giving us, with the time we're giving them. And we're allowing conversation to happen in however long we choose to create a relationship with different people. Yeah, so. I think I think respect is very important. And going off of respect, um, a lot of the comments for this article talked about the, obviously, Lena Dunham was brought up a lot, and the Believe All Survivors movement. And I want to ask you, is there a way to improve... I don't know how to ask that. Because you want to believe all survivors. Yeah. You want to believe these people, but then you have stories like this where it casts that little nugget of doubt in mm-hmm. your head. And is there a way that we can move forward where we can believe all of these people that, you know, these things happen to them and we can get them the help they need and then also kind of realize, oh, maybe this person is out for revenge or is out to get back at someone. I guess that's the same thing as revenge. Yeah. But do you um, think there's a way to possibly move forward and improve this movement? I think it's really hard to say because of the, so we do have that whole innocent until, until proven guilty thing within our courts, which is great. But if we really criticize it, especially for people of color, I keep coming back to that. Like when we think about privilege in the injustice system, it's 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 never really been innocent until proven guilty, especially when we look at the history of the United States and 
slavery and Jim Crow laws, especially in particular, and segregation and all sorts of like, I don't know, I think of the Scottsboro Boys. I don't know if you know of them. There was a musical made about them, which I'm obsessed with called the Scottsboro Boys that actually debuted at the Guthrie Theater. Fun fact before I went to Broadway. But it's about these, I think, nine black men who were accused of raping two white women on a train back when segregation I think I might was. Have heard something yeah, similar. Uh, or not thing. similar, but this story. Yeah, but of course, those men were not innocent until proven guilty. You know, so not to say that now that like excuses anything, but that concept I don't think has ever really worked in our system, and I think the amount of assault cases that get reported when you look at the statistics and of course I don't have them with me but when you look at statistics it's like out of every hundred assaults that get reported especially specifically on college campuses I think maybe a third or less of those actually get tested for like rape kits or you know go to police officers get that kind of a thing to be investigated and then even less actually get investigated after being reported and then even less end up with convictions. I want to say maybe like two or three out of a hundred actually end up with convictions. So like, especially when you think about guys with privilege, like Brock Turner, it's like- Who is a douchebag, by the way. Oh gosh. Yeah. Like horrible human being. Every time I hear his name, I just got to throw out that word. But I- memes saw a meme or it was basically like brock turners grow up to be people like it's just this cycle and so at a certain point i think it's so important to tell survivors that i hear you i believe you and then to try our best to give the person who is being accused like a fair chance at explaining at providing evidence at whatever because i i think we have to look at the trauma that a survivor has to relive and like nobody wants their private lives to be aired out in public like that like it's so personal especially when we talk about sexuality in our culture there's such a taboo that it's like you can't say that a woman wants everyone to know about all of these intimate details because you have to talk about the really intimate sexual acts that happen the really you have to discuss all of like when we talk about the u of m football scandal reading that report made me want to like vomit because it was so detailed and so private and yet yeah like people are talking about how all these football players their lives are ruined but it's like but they'll like they don't live with this trauma so yes if they can prove they weren't there if they have like great but at the same time they're part of this system that is protecting them and expecting a whole lot of effort emotionally and mentally from one person who after revealing all these details I don't know how you'd come up with that. Like, uh, so yeah, long tangent. It's so complex. I just think that we have to protect survivors because there's so much trauma that comes with that that you can't deny. There's so much science behind the trauma that people face. And it's not just women. It's not at all. It's trans people, especially trans women of color. It's men. This is also interesting because we're so angry at priests who assault boys, but we don't talk about, but then, or we do talk about, but we kind of don't take the same accountability when talking about men with women in our society. So it's a, this really interesting double standard of like, and maybe that's because priests hold such a high position, but we should expect the same from everyone in our society, especially men and boys. And we should also give them the tools to come out if they're assaulted. Like it shouldn't. I know men personally who have been who haven't told anybody because we're, we don't. That's not a thing that happens to men because 
they're men, you know, they're powerful and strong and they should be the assaultees and not the other way or assaulters, not the other way around. So it's just it's so complex. But we it's again, it's like all these topics we've talked about. It's not black and white. And we need to be very mindful of how we treat people, how we talk about people. And I think we need to believe survivors first because that is such a delicate space to be in where society is already going to attack them because they're coming out accusing somebody. They don't need other people in their so in their intimate circles also questioning that at the very least. It should be, you know, there should be a system of support and also not demonizing the person who did it, asking, well, what society are they growing up in that they felt like her not necessarily saying no, but also being too drunk or to, you know, to say yes or telling them no at a certain point. But they had said yes earlier when they, you know, so I'm someone yeah. who believes situations like these should be kept not the the legal side of it should be kept private until a decision yeah. is made. Because like you, you, I think you said it perfectly. We need to give a valid response, a positive valid response to survivors, mm-hmm. because the moment you don't, that's when people don't speak up. That's when somebody who is assaulted is like, well, if you're not going to believe me, why should I say anything? Exactly. That's why the Me Too movement was such a bomb of every other day there was a different story because people are like, now another person's doing it. Now I feel like I have the confidence to do it. And and then on the other side, I really liked how you said, like, give the accused a chance to prove themselves if they are innocent. Yeah. It's and like then, if they are, there's, yeah. there's nothing to. I mean, yeah, it's you don't you never want to be in that position, but you should feel comfortable to say it was not me. This is why this is why I have, you know, we should be able to support everyone involved to a certain extent, you know. And, and then, yeah, so. just keeping all that in a private legal situation. And then when a decision comes out saying this is what we found, he was or he, she was innocent, was guilty, and then move on from there. Because I think, especially in the U.S., is legal things are way too public. Every, Every legal court case is accessible to the public. And I think... I think that's very good, but also you see the downfalls like situations like this. Yeah, well, and you, yeah, it's a maybe more a question of like when does the public need to know? They always deserve to know, but like when do they need to? When is it going to be most beneficial? It's like you don't want to just give people half the evidence and be like, oh, here you go. This is what we're at so far because people are going to be like, this is it. Instead of realizing, oh, we're still in progress. Well, yeah, you so. think of something like the OJ case where as information was being leaked, people are like, oh, he did it. He didn't. He He's yeah. innocent. He's guilty. It's like, all right, well, if we would have kept that all private, the jury would have not yeah. been as influenced, maybe. Yeah, exactly. That's another thing, too. Yeah. Making sure things are released, but when they need to be at a moment where it's most beneficial for the people who are involved, who are most at stake, who have... A lot of emotional and physical like well-being invested in whatever case it is. Yeah. Uh, so the story mentioned, the updated story mentioned that the accuser, the ex-girlfriend, ended up being uh, locked away or potentially locked away for up to 180 days in jail. What are your thoughts on someone making a false accusation against another person for sexual assault or rape? What do you think should be, if you think there should be a punishment, what do you think that punishment should be? Well... Uh, my friends and I have this thing called the therapy gun, and we like to point it at people and say, have you been to therapy? <laughs> I think she could use that because <laughs> I think there's a lot of internalized, probably self-consciousness, a lot of self-doubt and image issues that are going on. If you feel like your life is incomplete until somebody else is suffering, I think that's a huge problem. So I don't know. I think and I don't know. I don't know. I don't like the idea that like locking up. 
maybe murderers and rape like rape rapists who have committed horrible crimes like multiple times that kind of a thing yes sure lock them up give them treatment etc but as far as people who commit crimes that almost destroyed somebody's life or didn't really it's so hard to say and i feel like what's better than locking somebody up as like a haha timeout like this is what's good for you i I think think it's it's, an easy solution yeah exactly because what they're gonna get out and nothing's gonna have been challenged they may be more angry at a system than they were before or at the person who quote unquote landed them there you know even though it wasn't that person's fault so i think honestly for most minor crimes it's better to just make people like mandated therapy mandated group sessions where you talk about like whatever it is to help somebody overcome whatever angry issues they're having within their own lives i think that it's communication like getting people to talk is so beneficial because when you talk something out you're able to get over that hump and i think that's probably what would be more beneficial in her case to figure out what the root of that whole act was rather than just saying oh we're gonna lock you up because that'll solve everything is doesn't seem very conducive and proactive to me yeah and it sounds like we're on the same page and correct me if i'm wrong but yeah the u.s prison system doesn't do what the u.s prison system says it does so (laughs) very very true there's no rehabilitation (laughs) in it i definitely believe yeah serious offenders should be in prison because there's no changing their mindset that's a chemical reaction in their brain therapy but also they shouldn't be running loose if they've murdered a bunch of people you know but i i think that people like the accuser i think therapy is a good thing i think i've always been a big proponent of minimal security prisons you have therapists it's like basically like a group home where you can learn from other people who have more like rehab yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. exactly but a more a more just beneficial or a more impactful community oriented kind of exactly Exactly. Like start like look at Australia. Australia is a major commerce situation. They started off with just convicts building (laughs) building towns and but yeah, I think just starting off on, you know, 180 days in a prison surrounded by women who have done horrendous crimes is probably not the best way to put someone who's yeah struggling with something inside of her or her image or something like that whatever yeah so i think it's important like you put these people i don't want to say throw because that just is a negative <laughs> yeah, that's a just negative a negative word connotated yeah. with the prison system but putting somebody like this or putting people in a similar situation making these types of crimes because this is considered a crime mm-hmm. yeah. a false accusation bringing in police that's a crime and giving them into these group homes, giving them therapy, I think that's a fabulous idea. But putting them around other people that have committed similar acts, people that have been rehabilitated from those acts, and learning, having conversations, and just growing as a person instead of just saying, we're going to throw you in a cell, you're going to be in that cell for 20 hours a day, and then when you get out, you're going to be better. Hopefully, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think it doesn't seem to work, but maybe you'll maybe mm-hmm. you'll be one yeah, of the people. I think people. it's a very flawed reaction to <laughs> or solution, maybe to an event like this for sure. Any final question or any final thoughts on this story? Anything you want to say to wrap up the story? I mean, if anything, a lot of these stories in general. I mean, in, in this one particular, I think just are good reminders that we should be questioning the systems that we grew up with and that. At least, especially in America, we are gifted with that freedom to do so. 
without repercussion to a certain extent, depending on who you are and your privilege, <laughs> privilege, privilege. Uh, but yeah, that's one thing I think the people that I surround myself with, we talk about the education I got. I was very lucky with in that a lot of it was critique of systems and recognizing your own privilege in it and being uncomfortable and sitting in that discomfort and growing from it because I just had, um, I think it was my piano teacher actually, was just talking about how it's all fine and good to be successful and to skate by and have accomplishments. But if we don't meet that success eventually with some kind of challenge, something that makes us feel a little weird or not feel as accomplished and we have to work through that, then our brain doesn't grow and it brain our brain doesn't make new connections and strengthen itself. And so I think it's really great to come up against challenge and to see where you fit in that space because then you're just going to get better and stronger and who doesn't want that? There it is. I could not say it better myself. All right, Alexander, thank you for taking the time out of your busy rehearsal schedule to have a conversation about some of the strangest and most interesting news stories the world has to offer. Once again, you can catch up with what Alexander's doing on her Instagram at al underscore n-e-d-v- E. Do you have any good uh, teasers for what your Instagram can provide? A lot of the same social commentary. <laughs> I like the earth, so a lot of environmental stuff. I frequently post quotes and books uh, that I'm on Do my story. Do you have story, a book so. recommendation? You said you read three books a day. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I'm always in the middle of something. Currently in the middle of The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, which is all about mindfulness and choosing how we spend our time, which is great. Um, to focus on the important things and not worry so much about the unimportant things or the fluff, I guess. Um, the Art of Gathering, that's the other one that I just started. Um, and then I just finished The Ethical Slut. So I want to ask you this, Gus. I've been having this issue reading. I'm a big reader, but I've gotten to the point where I'll read just like the first third of a book. I'll really like the book. I'll really like the story, but then I'll just move on to another book. Interesting. Do you have any advice on how to help me finish a book? Oh, gosh. Uh, the best thing that ha- helps me is finding a space that I really feel productive in. I just got a new chair from a thrift store, <laughs> and I love it. It's like the perfect reading chair. So finding a place where you feel like you can really zone in might help, because I know like if I'm sitting in bed, sometimes that's nice at the end of a long day, but also sometimes I get really tired. And I'm kind of like, meh, and then I never come back to it. So finding like an environment. It. I will try it out. I will try it out. All right, guys. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Water Cooler Talk, the only such podcast on the internet hosted by myself and guest hosted today by Alexandra, where we take the strangest and most interesting real-life news stories from around the world and just try and have a good old conversation about some of the ideas discussed in those bizarre news stories. And you can listen to the show on Spotify or you can head over to our website at newwestmedia.co slash watercoolertalkpod to choose your favorite way to listen and catch up on any old episodes that you may have missed. We are available on all podcast platforms and we're also available on Alexa and the Google Home Mini. So just... I don't. I even know how it works. I wasn't told how it works. I had to design this code, and we're on there. So just say Alexa, let's listen to Water Cooler Talk podcast, and hopefully it comes up. Uh, and once again, if you'd like to reach out to the show with a strange local news story, or if you just want to share some of your own comments, you can do so at watercoolertalkpod at gmail dot com. And for the week following this episode being posted, if you decide to tweet us at Water Cooler Talk, talk spell T L K, with your preference on beard or no beard, I will respond back with. An actor whose face contains the appropriate facial hair in regards to your choice. All right, Alexandra, every show I have the guests close out the show. So I open the floor to you. You can talk about environmental and social justices, injustices, (laughs) uh, your thoughts on the first audio recording from Mars that recently. What? 
Oh, you didn't hear about no. this? No, uh, I love space. Just though, the other so day, I'm yeah. Totally Just the that. other day, we had the first audio recording from Mars. Oh, cool! Uh, you can talk about your hatred of plastic straws, yep. or you can talk oh. about whatever needs to be <laughs> you, said. You give me a platform <laughs> to talk about plastic straws. I will talk about it. Skip the straw. I am also not the. I will admit the best uh, non-user of straws sometimes, especially when I go out to eat. But when I'm conscious about it, I always ask to get a drink without a straw. And a lot of places are going without them now. You have to ask for straws, which is great. But bring your own. There's tons of stores that stock zero waste items. There's tons of zero waste stores that are popping up in Minnesota. We have one called Tear Market. They have pop-ups and they're trying to find their own actual like home base right now, which is great. Hippie in a Van is a an Instagram account that I follow and they ship out non-waste items or zero waste items as well as uh, bestowed essentials. So I'm plugging all the environmental stuff right now, but I think it's super important in today's day and age. Um, So yeah, basic thing, bring your own reusable bags or use paper bags when you go grocery shopping. Skip the plastic. If you can carry it out with your hands, I will admit I'm that person who will carry out like six items because <laughs> I don't want to use a plastic bag. I'm an, I'm an Aldi shopper okay. and I'll get a lot of stuff, but I won't bring, I'll forget to bring my bag. I so I'll just like all the time. dump everything into my trunk and it's there like 10 different <laughs> yep. trips to get everything into the house. Yep. Yep, I'm the same way. I look kind of like an idiot, but it makes me feel, <laughs> if I can't, every once in a while again, like the straw, every once in a while I'll forget, but it's the little things, y'all. It's the little things. It's the little things. All right, guys, thank you for listening to another amazing episode. We will be back in two Thursdays from now, but until then, peace. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world, and while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not, because they're real. <laughs>